Welcome to the Haunting, Unearthly, and Paranormal Stories podcast. Each week will be a different event, whether paranormal or some other strange and unexplained happening. Maybe even a haunting located near you will be examined and relayed to you. These events and stories are based on events have been given to us by the people who experience these events in their own lives. These stories will take you to the depths of fear and back again. You will learn of places haunted by spectrals and other shadows. You will learn about ghost investigations, the demonic happenings and possible possessions, dream homes taken over by paranormal or supernatural events. Within all these stories, you will question yourself and locations you have been to. Those times you caught movement out of the corner of your eye. Or thought you did. (laughs) You may just learn that it likely was some spirit from another plane of existence trying to get your attention. You may start questioning different locations you currently visit and begin to wonder if those slight noises that you are hearing are truly the building settling or someone from a past life walking down the hallway toward you. These weekly journeys we take together will lead us down deserted roads into the deep and dark forests and through the doors of buildings we should not enter. Pull up a chair and join me as we take a step into the unknown here on the Haunting, Unearthly, and Paranormal Stories podcast. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at hopspodcast at yahoo.com or contact us through our website, http colon forward slash forward slash hupspodcast.com. Just remember, believe those that you choose or believe in none. It is your choice. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Unidragon, the makers of enthralling wooden puzzles that look more like art. Now, in the 21st century, widespread digitalization has pushed people to have a gadget-free rest. Let's face it, we're all on our phones and our computers way too much. In this case, puzzles are a convenient and actual way of having a rest from our digital lives. It's not only a different activity, which in and of itself is kind of restful, but it also is a means of training our brains as well. Let's look at some of the benefits of puzzles and how they help us to rest and develop our intellect. Now first, they provide a great way to reboot our brain. Second, they help us calm down and get us ready for bed. Third, they can help to prevent burnout. Another great benefit is they help to refocus and develop our ability to pay attention. As a teacher, I can attest to the fact that many of our students are children. They need to develop their attention span. A fifth benefit is they help us to observe. A sixth and we could all use this, is they help us to analyze, especially the little details. Seventh, you develop social interaction, especially if you do the puzzle with your children or your significant other. And this is one of my favorites, let's face it. The last two years have seen our social lives suffer, 
and puzzles are a great way to get the family to do something together that's both beneficial and fun. Finally, error experience. We learn to take failure and turn it around. Now, puzzles are a simple tool that solves a complex range of problems. In the form of a game, we learn useful analytical and communication skills that we will find application or the ability to apply them in work, study, and other areas of our lives. So what are you waiting for? Head over to unidragon.com today and check out their amazing puzzles. Their nature puzzles are among some of my favorite ones, and I'm sure you'll love them too. And remember, use code HISTORY10. That's the word HISTORY and the number 10 to get 10% off your order. Okay, let's get back into the show. American History Podcast, Season 4, Episode 16, The U.S. Navy Strikes Back. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get started, let me just apologize for the sound of my voice. <clears throat> if you don't know, I've had a bad case of bronchitis for the last 10 days or so. Um, I'm still trying to get over it. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. If it is, just let me know and I can re-record the episode. Uh, please don't go give me a bad review. Just, just email me and I will quickly record it as soon as my voice is back to closer to 100%. But in, in the meantime, um, if you are enjoying this show, please let me ask you to take a minute to hop over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. I know it's a bit annoying, but it really does help other people find the show. And um, if you don't have a lot of time, then, you know, instead of two sentences reviews, uh, maybe just leave us a five-star rating. Now, if you'd help to keep the lights on, please head over to our Patreon, where for just $10 a month, you'll get access to a bunch of bonus content, including two separate shows, 1983, the year the world almost ended, and Quagmire. Quagmire is the story of the wars in the Middle East. Just go over to www.patreon.com forward slash American History. We have about four episodes for each show that release every year, give or take. Um, and right now we're getting ready to release a new one for 1983, which will be available for those of it, uh, who subscribe at the $5 a month level. All right, so last time we discussed quite a bit of things, including Fleet Admiral Ernest J. King, one of the least known of the five-star officers from World War II. Today, we will see the U.S. Navy hit back against the Japanese. Just under two months after Pearl Harbor, um, we get to see the Enterprise and the Yorktown in action, and we're introduced to Admiral Halsey. Now, to get us started, we have the song of the week. This week is Way Out Yonder West, by the Avon Comedy Four and comes to us via the Free Music Archive. We'll see you in a few minutes. He was from a day, 
January 1942. The U.S. Navy is led by Admirals King and Nimitz. It's safe to say that every Admiral in the Navy knew every other one, at least by name and face. King and Nimitz had never been close, and according to naval historian Ian Toll, if King had been allowed to pick the successor to Admiral Husband Kimmel as Sink Pack Fleet, Nimitz would likely not have been his choice. Thus, Nimitz had to tread carefully, as he was aware. In a secure cable dated January 2, 1942, King told Nimitz he was unhappy with the dilatory and half-hearted deployment of the carriers since December 7th. He wanted Nimitz to carry out hit-and-run raids on Japan's carriers as well as several island bases in the Marshalls. Nimitz was urged to send his ships into enemy waters, launch raids with total surprise on enemy islands, and catch them by surprise. Nimitz and his staff mulled the cable over. They had well-reasoned objections. Admiral Claude Bloch, the chief of the 14th Naval District and the man directly responsible for the defense of Hawaii, noted that if the carriers were to be lost in these raids, and it was possible they would be, the Hawaiian Islands would be open to a possible invasion. Now another problem was that very little was known about the Marshalls and Gilberts at that time. In the estimation of the staff officers, these islands offered little in the way of high-value targets. So what was the point of blasting holes in an airstrip, assuming one was there, if it could simply be rebuilt? Risking precious resources seems silly at this juncture. Instead, why not wait until the American economy had ramped up and delivered a new fleet into their hands to make the move, like, say, 1943? As it so happens, the danger to the carriers was illustrated on January 11th, when the Saratoga was hit by a Japanese torpedo about 500 miles south of Oahu. While she was able to return to Pearl under her own power, the damage was severe enough to make it necessary to have her make the trip over to Puget Sound, Washington, for repairs. She was only one of four aircraft carriers in the Pacific, thus cutting the U.S. Navy's power by 25%. But not all of Nimitz's advisors were against a proposed raid on the Marshall Islands. 
Vice Admiral William Halsey, nicknamed by the press Bull, was all for the raids. He thought it might divert the Japanese from their drive south, where they threatened the Coral Sea and Australia. He dramatically announced he would take Enterprise and do it himself. He was of the belief that the Navy had to hit back at the enemy, and by doing so in the Marshals, they would not only be restoring confidence and honor, they would help to protect the lifeline connecting Australia to the Western Hemisphere. Now, Halsey was the real-life um, version of a Hollywood admiral. He was the type who pounded the table and shouted. He was more than willing to play the part of the gladiator dying to get at the enemy. Like General George Patton, he appeared to love war. He was a sailor's sailor, as they said. He was popular with the lower decks and possibly due to his attitude that, as a general rule, I never trust a sailorman who doesn't smoke or drink. Needless to say, in January 1942, he was chomping at the bit, dying to be let loose to get at the enemy. Now Halsey, like General Douglas MacArthur, had lived his entire life in the military. His father had been a naval officer before him. At the age of 15, he wrote to President William McKinley asking for a Naval Academy appointment. The letter was never answered. However, his mother was able to bend the ear of all the right people, and Bill, as he was known to family, entered the academy in 1900. Graduating one year ahead of Nimitz, Bill was in the bottom half of the class, but he was well-liked. He was said to be a real old salt. Looks like a figurehead of Neptune. Now fast forward to 1942. Halsey was the most seasoned task force commander the Navy had. This was the man who would, when the time came, lead the operation against the Japanese. Approved by Admiral Nimitz on January 9th, the idea was to conduct a raid on Japanese islands along with a defensive mission in which Samoa would be reinforced by a brigade of Marines that had already set sail out of San Diego, having left the West Coast on January 8th. Task Force 17 would be built around Yorktown, which arrived in the Pacific and was under the command of Admiral Fletcher. Enterprise, which was taking on fuel and supplies in Pearl Harbor, was the centerpiece of Task Force 8. It would head south to provide both air cover and anti-submarine protection until the convoy heading to Samoa had safely arrived. Then the two carrier groups would combine and steam northwest for the Marshall Islands. Sneaking across the dateline, they were to speed towards Japanese bases, with Enterprise attacking Kwajalein, uh, I'm going to probably destroy this name, Maloalap, and Woche in the center of the Marshall chain. Yorktown was to head to the south and hit Makin, Mili, and Jaluit in the Gilberts. Hopefully that wasn't too bad. Now on January 11, 1942, Nimitz accompanied Halsey from headquarters to the pier. Shaking hands, Nimitz wished Halsey good luck. By mid-afternoon, the cruisers and destroyers, along with the carrier, were underway. Steaming at 25 knots, the ship headed out to sea. The men on the ships knew what was coming, and morale was high. This was their chance to get a little retribution. As Halsey told his staff, their goal was to raise a little hell up in the Gilberts or Marshalls, end quote. Hey guys, if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know that our official beard and hair products company is Fable Beard Company. And since spring is here, they're starting to release their spring-summer lineup of products. And the first one out of the gate is the Refresher. Now this is probably my favorite summer product. It has a scent profile of, wait for it, lemonade and gunpowder. Yes, lemonade and gunpowder, and it's fantastic. As always, it comes in a beard oil, beard butter, beard wash, and a beard conditioner. And as always, these products are great for not only your beard, but hair. Now my wife loves the conditioners and washes and she uses them regularly on her hair. Heck, 
truth be told, we even use the washes on our dogs. That's because they're all natural, free of damaging phthalates and other nasty chemicals, and they're made right here in the United States. Now head over to FableBeardCompany.com and check out all of their oils and butters, as well as beard conditioners and even products specifically designed for women. And remember, use the coupon code SEAN15 to get 15% off each and every order. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, as the ships headed south, the temperatures increased. I can attest to how warm it gets down around the equator. And even in a modern aircraft carrier, the heat is something that isn't easy to deal with. But back in those days, when the air conditioning wasn't what it is today, <laughs> no thanks. The trip south was eventful as the sailors and officers were still new to all of this. For example, one of the Douglas SBD Dauntless Scout planes belonging to Scouting 6 almost shot down a four-engine flying boat that belonged to New Zealand. Another incident saw one of the dive bombers dished out at sea and its crew set adrift in a lifeboat. Amazingly, they spent 24 days lost at sea, finally turning up on an island 750 miles away, sun-baked and starving. On several occasions, either a pilot broke radio silence or Enterprise was forced to do so, all of which set Halsey on edge. The last thing they needed was for the Japanese to realize what was coming. Now the bad luck plagued not only the carriers, but the screening ships as well. One sailor was lost overboard from the blue, while a man from the cruiser Salt Lake City was crushed in one of her turrets. Finally, the convoy arrived in Samoa, dropped off the Marines, and the next phase began. January 23rd, Yorktown and Enterprise met up at sea, and two days later they headed northwest, towards the Marshalls which were about 1,600 miles away. The Yorktown and her ships trailed the Enterprise by about 150 miles. The weather was fine until they got to the International Dateline, at which point the skies darkened, the winds picked up, and the seas tossed the ships about. On January 31st, radar picked up a lone Japanese scout plane. It came to within 34 miles of the fleet, but the Americans were somehow undetected. No radio messages were sent out by the plane, and the force proceeded on. At 18.30 that evening, the task force broke up. Admiral Ray Spruance's cruiser force moved to bomb Woche and Tarawa, while Enterprise moved in position to hit Kwajalein, as well as hit the two islands I just mentioned. A message from Nimitz came in, quote, It is essential that the attacks be driven home. Exploit this situation by expanding operations, utilizing both task forces in such repeated air attacks and ship bombardments as developments and logistics make feasible. If practicable, extend offensive action beyond one day, end quote. Now, as you can imagine, the intense heat, along with the pre-battle jitters, meant few were able to get a good night's sleep. Reveille sounded at 0300. At 0443, the first plane lifted off the flight deck. It was one of the six F-4F Wildcats, which were flying combat air patrol. After them came the planes making up two groups headed for the atoll of Kwajalein. 37 Dauntless SBD dive bombers headed to Roy, the island airbase of the northern end of the atoll. Nine TBD dive bombers were to take um, on the ships that were at anchor at the southern end of the island. The naval aviators reported a smashing success over Roy, having taken down three enemy fighters, seven bombers shot up on the ground, two hangars leveled, a fuel tank destroyed, and an ammunition storage unit just along with the radio station. The U.S. Navy lost four SBDs along with all of their crews. The attack on the southern portion of the atoll was also a success, destroying three ships, damaging eight, and also taking out numerous airplanes and ground facilities. Now, at the same time, sometime around 0700, 
uh, Admiral Spruance's cruisers, forming a long line of battle, began their attack. Remaining engaged for about three hours, they completed their attack, suffering no hits, and moved east for the scheduled rendezvous with Enterprise. On the other side, the Japanese were caught by surprise, a fact which led to some bitter self-recrimination or self-criticism in the aftermath of the raid. They came to believe the signs of an impending attack had been there, but were simply missed. A Japanese sub, the I-23, had seen Halsey's task force at sea in early January. Before Saratoga was hit, alerts were issued to all Japanese bases in the Marshalls, but they came to believe the Navy would keep their remaining carriers out of harm's way. When there were no further sightings or radio intercepts, the Japanese believed they were in the clear. Now, the Enterprise and her task force made a high-speed withdrawal, heading northeast at 30 knots, eventually turning towards Hawaii. In the meantime, the Yorktown and her group attacked Jaluit and Millie and the southern marshals, as well as Macon and the Gilberts. All three islands were hit by coordinated airstrikes at dawn. While flight operations were bedeviled to a minor extent by rain and heavy overclass clouds, uh, clouds, the fact is they had no problem getting into the air. However, the results of the raid were minimal. One flight, thanks to the weather, lost six planes on the return. The attack on Jaluit hit two auxiliary ships anchored in the lagoon, but none were sunk. Macon saw an anchored mine layer hit, as well as two flying boats, but there were no other targets of value there. Finally, the attack on Mealy was wasted, as there were no targets worthy of attack at all. As the weather grew worse, the visibility dropped down to zero, and for a while, flight ops were suspended. At this point, Yorktown began picking up radio contacts and believed they were Japanese airplanes searching for the ship. Thankfully, the weather cleared, and a squadron of Wildcats were sent up to investigate. They eventually came upon a four-engine Kawanishi-type 97 flying boat, the sort of plane they had destroyed earlier that morning. Flaming debris from the airplane fell into the ocean within sight of Yorktown, and the second-in-command, Captain J.J. Clark, remarked, quote, Burn, you son of a bitch, burn, end quote. On the morning of February 5th, 1942, the Enterprise returned to Oahu. The ship was flying her massive battle flags, and all hands were clothed in white uniforms as they manned the rails. On the flight deck, Admiral Halsey was greeted by Nimitz, who shook his hand and exclaimed, quote, Bill, it was a magnificent, great job, end quote. Halsey was overtaken with emotion and broke down in tears. The men under his command gave him the nickname Bull, and they came up with another one, Wild Bill. Now, just to end this episode, I should mention that, in the end, the estimates provided by the pilots flying off the Enterprise um, of the damage they inflicted was inflated, big time. They sunk a total of two transports and one smaller craft, and they damaged another transport. Nine enemy bombers and three fighters were destroyed. Several buildings were destroyed, and the Japanese lost 90 men, including Admiral Yat- Yatsushito, the first Japanese admiral killed in the war. They had, without a doubt, degraded the effectiveness of Japan's bases in the Marshalls. Now, in the end, what this signaled was that the war in the Pacific would be a long one, a war of attrition that needed to be waged across a vast ocean. However, we can't discount the importance of this raid when it comes to improving morale. It also provided much-needed practice. The Navy was learning how to fight a war by doing just that, fighting a war. Furthermore, one thing they learned, something which proved valuable going forward, was that war, first and foremost, was a state of mind. Okay, so that's where we're going to end it for today. On our next episode or two, 
Um, we're going to switch it up a little bit and look at the United States ramping up its industrial capacity, and then we'll get back to more of the battle stuff. Um, until next time, I am Sean, and you've been listening to episode 16 of season four, The U.S. Navy Strikes Back. And I'll see you all real soon. Wondering who was Shut it off, Robert. Oh, 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 oh